podcast, The Smartest Man in the World, commences right here, right now, at the bustling, throbbing epicenter of hipness right here in Austin, uh, the Hideout Coffee Shop, ladies and gentlemen, where we have a live audience full of Texans right here, right now. Yes, at the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival, which takes place uh, for a week over this weekend, and uh, I don't know how that works. Uh, there was over 450,000 comedy acts here in Austin this weekend. Uh, improvisation, sketch, stand-up, and also comedy. Uh, we'll be here all weekend long. So far I've done stand-up, I've done an interview about my fabulous career, James Rampton style. Uh, we're doing an improv show here tonight. And this show will be going out all over uh, the interweb and all over the ether, uh, from Lubbock to uh, Lake Palestine, uh, from Coffee City to Van. Uh, Encompassing all of the uh, Republic of Tejas here and, of course, all over the world. Uh, this is the first time I've done the uh, Proofcast uh, Stone Cold Sober because we don't usually do it on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I feel that's completely appropriate here for Texas. Sunday afternoon seems to be a time where men want to put on shorts and wear mandals. So, uh, right on Austin and right on Sunday. And if you're out there driving around listening to the Proofcast... Open your flask and take a healthy tot right now, and if you're sitting at home, light one up for me, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, pity my sobriety as we move along here. Uh, the weather here, I've only been in Austin for a couple of days. Yesterday, uh, an unceasing biblical sun like God's anvil beating down upon the horned toads of the land, and the armadillo shall shrink, and so shall the penis as I wander down the street, my neck blistering uh, in the unrelenting fucking giant orb that hangs so low in the sky here in Tejas. Uh, today, Sunday, unbelievable cooling trend. <laughs> what can only be described as an arctic wind is whipping through the streets of, of Austin here. I got up and took a walk around this morning and uh, took a ride out to the I-35 in a taxi and uh, my God, uh, the wind is just as strong as the sun here. I don't know how you people don't live in like walled up adobe houses and just crawl out in the middle of the night. Someone just told me a few minutes ago that the best time of day here for the weather is five in the morning. Perfect. <laughs> because at my job as a vampire, 5 a.m. is right about the time when I want to catch that cooling breeze before I retire to the casket underneath the Hilton Garden Inn where I am staying, ladies and gentlemen. This is not just the city of music and the city of alternative thought and, of course, the capital of the Republic of Tejas. It's uh, also uh, the home to millions of bats uh, that apparently swarm each night uh, down uh, near the bridge here off Congress Street and um, I was told again last night that I can't see this because I'll be working through both times the bats come swarming down so I can only imagine uh, their furry goodness as they swim uh, through the night skies here in Austin fighting the wind as I presume all mammals do here good for the bats they have it right they go home at night and then they come out about 5 in the morning is my guess uh, right when it's coolest for mammals uh, uh, so, I, uh, like I say, I've never been to Austin before. I don't know how I've been kept away. Uh, uh, everyone always tells me it's, it's groovy and hip. Uh, of course, I'm from San Francisco, so I'll be the fucking judge of that. <laughs> People told me Deep Ellum in Dallas was hip, too, and it turned out to be a fucking street. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that remains to be seen. I know there's a million tattoo parlors here in Austin, and as far as I can figure, about a thousand venues for music, and that portends well. Any place that you don't walk down the street and see signs that say auto-tune spun here, I'm always happy. Uh, so any place there's live music and, and swirling mammals in the sky at night, 
is, is okay by me uh, so far. Uh, what was I? I'm trying to find my thing here. Oh, yeah. Uh, coming in to, come in, my darlings. We're broadcasting from a coffee shop here, and there are people who are just genuinely interested in getting a cup of coffee, if you can fucking believe that. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the most important parts of any white middle-class person's life is spending $4 on a cup of coffee (laughs) to prove that they don't have to go back home and look around their room and go, what can I fucking sell today? (laughs) So I realize what an exciting part of every Sunday afternoon. And there's a Wimbledon feel to the audience here as I've handed out flyers to the Proopcast and everybody fans themselves ever so gently. (laughs) Much like Jokic is about to hit a a forehand drive, or a forearm drive, if you will. And I think you will. Uh, I've been to Texas many times, as I might have mentioned on the Proopcast. My family lives in Texas in a compound uh, near Lake Palestine. And if you've ever been to, uh, been to Lake Palestine, what a garden spot. <laughs> the scrub-like hills describe an arc around what can only be dis- uh, pictured as a, a, a lake. Uh, however, not a lake like uh, Lake Michigan or something like that, where there's steamboats tooling up and down and and cargo being delivered. More like a lake where drunk rednecks are trying to catch crappy all day long and then beat the shit out of their friends at night uh, in some of the local taverns around the lake. So there's a, a warm, wonderful feeling. And we send out a, a, a big shout to Coffee City and Frankston and uh, the Lake Palestine area where you can buy fireworks from toothless families that live in trailers and then set them off later in the night, scaring all the millions of wild dogs that live in the area uh, for mad fun. Uh, and I see the crowd's a little touchy about some of the rural areas here in Texas. Um, wow. I received a tweet yesterday saying, we're not all shit kickers and stompers. It's all redneck. You got our Texas wrong and shit. Honey, I don't think you've been where I've been in fucking East Texas. Uh, I may have gotten Houston wrong downtown, uh, but I don't think so. Uh, many times have I been here. One of the best times I was ever here uh, was in uh, Houston. I was doing a, a two-hander improv gig with a, a, a delightful uh, improviser named Chip Esten, who you may know from the show. Whose line is it anyway? And, of course, I also played the lawyer who had a mad affair with um, uh, Chloe Sevigny on the show Big Love. Him and I were doing, a, I believe it was an Episcopal church in Houston, and they paid mad money and brought us down to do a two-hander, and it was a fundraiser, right? So the tables were $5,000 uh, a seat. So every table cost $50,000, right? And this was a Sunday afternoon event. This was a couple years ago. The theme was, if you can believe this, Martin Scorsese's movie, The Aviator. So that'll give you an idea to orient you in time when this was. So people were wearing like 30 suits and fedoras and some people in flapper outfits and whatnot. Uh, The drinking began post-haste. And uh, because it was an Episcopal event, the drinking was both fervent and ferocious. And uh, pretty much like a pissing match in 1870 in India with the fucking red-coated troops in Afghanistan. That was the kind of fervency these people brought to the drinking. So uh, I remember meeting the Episcopal priest, who was unbelievably rat-assed at that point, uh, completely three sheets to the wind. Uh, Thank God he was just wearing his cassock and not a fucking costume, but everyone else was. So we were supposed to go on about, I don't know, eight or nine, uh, of course, the, the evening went on forever because they had a raffle and a fishnet mending orgy and whatever other uh, <laughs> things that they were raising money for. So when we started, they were the drunkest group of people I have ever played for in my life. Now, mind you, I've played Scotland, and I've played England, and I've played Ireland, and I've played all the lands. 
uh, where people drink for a living, where babies get up in the morning and drink a fucking Guinness and then just look you cross-eyed. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've played people places where people are drunk like the minute they get up in the morning. And I've never played to a drunker crowd than the one in Houston. I remember going out to open the show and my opening line to all these very nice Episcopal wealthy people, some of whom were wearing fedoras, was, um, hey, I got an idea. Why don't all y'all shut the fuck up so we can do the show? That was the opener. So now we're doing improv and we're bringing people on stage and people are so drunk that, that one, they can barely stand and two, can't understand the concept of improvisation. We're going to do a game called Moving Bodies where the person has to stand behind you and move your body during the scene. We explained it once, twice, three times, four times, five times. At that point, I stopped the show and said, we've been doing improv for approximately 45 years. And in the 250,000 shows we've done, we've never had to explain this simple-ass game five fucking times. <laughs> what you do is you hold us and you move and away you go, why y'all gonna do the fucking... Okay, fuck it. Let's just go. So... Uh, the crowd was unbelievably pished. We're about to do a closing song, and a guy jumps out of the crowd and goes, Well, that's the show, y'all. Fucking good night. And we just looked at each other and went, Good night, and took a bow. <laughs> so I will always thank Houston for that afternoon and evening of unbelievable fucking mayhem. Uh, with the good Episcopals there. I remember doing a Comedy Central show in Irving, Texas, and it was one of these hacky-ass premises where, uh, as only Comedy Central used to do in the, in the late 90s, they were sending comics to help people in their real lives. There couldn't be a worse idea. <laughs> Let's just talk about the unending neurosis that is a stand-up comedian. First of all, I'm going to be competitive with whoever I meet in their real fucking life, and then I'm going to be dismissive and judgmental subsequent to being competitive. So... We were sent to teach this guy to two-step because his, his girlfriend, or whatever they call them here in Texas, his armadillo, uh, his buckarat, could uh, like, to, like to go dancing. But like all men in Texas, dancing, of course, means that another man will enter you. So he had to be coaxed into learning how to dance socially. And we went to some unbelievably gigantic shit-kicker place in Irving, if you can believe that. And uh, it was maybe two city blocks big. It was unbelievably big. And uh, we're, we're taping there, and I was wearing a suit and tie, as is my want. Uh, not today, of course. Today, just a simple dashiki, because of the, in honor of the, of the Arabian shirakos that are blowing down the street here, and the unceasing fucking sun that Allah has provided. And everybody kept coming up to me and going, where are you from? Are you from England? Are you from England? Like, clearly, anyone in a suit in a shit-kicker bar is from England. So after a while, I just yielded and went, yes, I am. <laughs> Making no attempt to be English at all. And it worked anyway. <laughs> Apparently, the Elvis Costello glasses and the suit carried the fucking day. And everybody was like, he's from England. And then we had a TV camera, and people were like, not what are you shooting, what are you doing? And I thought it was evident when you had a TV camera and a crew with you that you were making a TV show. But apparently the people of Irving from the 90s a little more superstitious than that. I think they were worried the camera was going to steal their soul or something. I don't know what the concern was. People were like, well, what are you doing? It's like, well, we're shooting a TV show. But how can you do that? Well, with a camera. And where is it going to show on Comedy Central? What? You know, like it's absolute despair and perplexing. So at that point I proceeded to drink as many Shiner Box and fucking tequilas as I could get down. Uh, and the crew, one after the next, got up on a, a, a mechanical bull, which I would no more do than I would, like, 
hang myself at Burning Man from my testicles with a hook. Um, first of all, I would no more go to Burning Man than I would ever go to any fucking outdoor event where a lot of people can't bathe on a regular basis and white guys have dreadlocks. Let's just put it that way. Anytime someone's playing a didgeridoo or a white guy has dreadlocks, I'm leery. Let's just put it that way. If anyone's building a weird cairn that they're going to burn to the ground in some sort of pagan ritual, I'm all for that. I'll watch it on TV later. Uh, I, I don't actually want to be with the pagans because people don't smell that good and often they'll go this weed's really strong and I'm like it's not that strong not strong enough to make watching you play hacky sack all day interesting um, and your yin yang tattoo didn't fucking really rock me on that I think the dreadlocks are doing a lot of the heavy lifting on your personality frankly <laughs> So there were these mechanical bulls on offer there, and people were getting on them one after the next, just drunk as fucking lords. And uh, girls and whatnot, girls in tight lee jeans and lots of... And that awesome thing that goes on in Texas here, not so much in Austin, as I gaze across this crowd of hipsters, but uh, when you go to the other parts of Texas, the parts that you were dismissive of earlier... Um, <laughs> It's that uh, blonde hair, tight jeans, kind of uh, Christian cheerleader running for office CNN anchor whore thing they got going on. <laughs> and, and the guys do the Lee Jean 10-gallon hat. And I adore that people dress as cowboys here. I really do. I know there's a burning need for cowboys in Texas. A, a lot of rustling down at the subway. And there's probably a mochaccino stampede that could break out any moment here at the hideout. <laughs> Next time I come back to Texas, I'm going to wear a 19th century occupation costume. I'm, I'm coming as a chimney sweep the next time I come to Texas. <laughs> What you need is a rain dancer, as far as I can see here in Austin. And had you not been so heedless uh, with the aborigines that once lived in this place, you might have that fucking rain that you so saw. Um, so I did get on the bull, but I watched a bunch of the crew guys get on the bull, and I stood there drunk. I guess the point of the story was this. There's a happy ending. In my drunken bitterness, and I know we never taught this guy to uh, clog dance or two-step or whatever it was he wanted to do, boot scoot. Um, we went outside wildly drunk at this point, and uh, there was a barbecue truck out there. And I don't mean like the LA is the home of food trucks. They're, like there's a you know uh, an Indian food truck, and and they all they're all dying of cute, right? Like there's a Cuban food truck called like. Uh, you know, Che burgers or whatever, you know. It's a revolution in food. Like, no, fuck you. I don't think Che was gunned down by forces so that you could use his face to sell your fucking crappy empanadas later in his life. But all right, fair enough. I'm surprised there's not a Kurt Cobain truck that says, this will give you a shot in the head, you know. So... All the trucks in L.A. are dying of cute, but this was a proper Texas barbecue truck, and there was a couple people back there, and they were dealing out the Texas barbecue, which is inevitably brisket, and uh, I got it all over myself in an orgy. I, I mean, I, I made love to this fucking sandwich like no one's ever made love to, like if Selma Hayek was covered with barbecue sauce is how I went after this sandwich. <laughs> I was all over my face and my shoes and my pants. I woke up the next day and my suit was covered with fucking barbecue sauce, and uh, I was never actually happier in Texas than I was at that point. What about when you were visiting in your family. Oh no, that previous statement stands. Uh, so here we are in Austin for a five-day improv orgy and uh, improvisers, I forgot. One, uh, so serious about improv. Uh, I forgot that improv was serious. I've only been doing it for a million years as a fucking laugh with my drunken alcoholic friends. Uh, now I realize again that it's a craft, and I'm sorry if I was flip about it in any way earlier. <laughs> Not only is it a craft for the people who are improvisers here in the audience, it's a craft that you'll never make any money on the rest of your life. So hold that close to your heart when you're improvising. Like podcasting, podcasting is the new way to disseminate your comedy to a global audience and still receive no fiscal remuneration. <laughs> 
Uh, some early uh, business from last week's show. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Montreal at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, and I mentioned a politician there named Jack Layton, who was head of the National Democratic Party up there in Canada, the NDP. Uh, and he had the prostate cancer. The reason I bring him up was he passed away, and he was a, a lovely person. And uh, I guess I was always getting at, when I was talking about Jack Layton up there, the difference between American politicians and politicians from, say, Canada, specifically Jack Layton. Uh, American politicians say things like, well, I love this country! And if you disagree with them, then somehow you don't love this country. Uh, and... Uh, Politicians in other countries sometimes actually make sense and think of what they're going to say first. That's what makes them different than American politicians. And so he left a letter before he passed, and at the end of his letter he said this, and I dare any politician in this country, since apparently we're already in a presidential race, even though we're six months away from the first fucking primary. Uh, if you turn on the news, you would think the election is in two weeks. Uh, we're having debates next week, and we're having primaries in six months. I wonder if we could let the president govern for, I don't know, two or three years before we fucking diselect him and I say him only because it is a him one day it will be a her and then I will be dead um, Jack Layton wrote this in his last letter my friends love is better than anger hope is better than fear optimism is better than despair let us be loving hopeful and optimistic and we'll change the world um, when was the last time you heard a politician in this country say something like that and not like, government needs to stop interfering in our lives and uh, and the crowd goes quiet apparently you hear it a lot here apparently I'm not aware of all the Texas politicians that talk about optimism being better than despair we're so close to the state house here I can almost smell Rick Perry's cufflinks <laughs> And a couple of other people passed away who were irreplaceable in this world. Uh, Nick Ashford from the uh, 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 singing and songwriting duo of Ashford and Simpson. Uh, they, they, you may remember them for the song Solid as a Rock, but they wrote so many groovy Motown hits. Ain't No Mountain High Enough and uh, zillions of others. But it, it wasn't so much that. It was that Nick Ashford had that awesome look. Uh, he... he he had that unbelievably straightened hair, uh, and he looked like the cowardly lion. He had very leonine eyes, and he was a seven and a half foot tall black guy who had a waist that was like 18 inches and would wear like turquoise leather pants and a see-through top and shit like that. And I don't think there's any way to fucking rock harder than Nick Ashford did. Uh, go back and Google some of the Ashford and Simpson videos here. I realize we're not talking about... Towns Van Zandt or whatever here, so I may have lost a little of the crowd here. This is Negro music to the people of Texas. Holy catch, you guys. You don't think it's fucking hot enough here? Woo! Uh, and Jerry Lieber of Lieber and Stoller. Uh, and Lieber and Stoller wrote immortal lyrics like, um, the warden threw a party at the county jail. The prison band was there, they began to wail. Uh, when you look at the lyrics to Jailhouse Rock, uh, I don't think there's a more homosexual song in the history of songwriting. <laughs> At one point, number 37 says to number three, you're the cutest jailbird I ever did see. Well, there's been no talk of whether this jail was co-educational at all. <laughs> so one can only presume it was one male convict saying to another male convict, you're the cutest jailbird I ever did see. And then later, if you can't find a partner, use a wooden chair. <laughs> Maybe in the 50s, in that gentler time, that meant something else. Now I think if you were incarcerated and someone said, use a wooden chair, there would be a whole different connotation to that. Uh, but anyway, this one goes out to uh, Jerry Lieber of Lieber and Stoller, and Stoller's still alive. Also, I aired uh, in a baseball uh, 
piece of trivia, or rather a piece of information. I inferred, in fact, I stated outright that Steve Stone, uh, the pitcher, won the Cy Young Award with the Padres. He did not, of course, for you baseball fans. And don't fucking write me, because I already had a thousand tweets about it. Um, Steve Stone won the Cy Young with the Orioles in 1980 when he was 25 and fucking 7. This is the exciting part of that. He decided to try for one big year, throwing more curveballs, 50%, at the expense of his arm. After that year, he was never the same pitcher, and he was never good again. But through half curveballs, which really messes up your arm, he led the league in wins, one loss percentage, second in games started, seventh in ERA, strikeouts, hits allowed, hit batsmen, awesome statistic, which brings me to Nolan Ryan, that that scion of Texas baseball. Nolan Ryan had 5,000 strikeouts. He also had 4,000 walks, and he hit more batters than any pitcher that ever fucking lived. People would say, Nolan Ryan, you know, he just, he really brought it in there. He would also fucking hit you if you crowded the plate. He might have been a nice guy, but he wasn't above plunking you in the ass. And, awesomely, Nolan Ryan, because he was old school. Ball players are so professional now, and they don't chew tobacco anymore, and they don't, they don't whore and drink like they used to. They drink power shakes and get on a bike after the game. Uh, when Nolan Ryan started, I was like seven years old. This is 1967. Uh, ball players were like not even allowed in good hotels. They wore crew cuts and they spit and they chewed and they chased pussy and they said the worst part of the game was trying to convince your wife to take penicillin for your kidney infection. <laughs> Nolan Ryan talked to every fucking batter. And then if you got on first, he talked to you when you were on first. Hey, boy. And he, he referred to himself in the third person and shit. The old Ryan's gonna fucking knock you on your ass, boy. And that is fucking baseball, ladies and gentlemen. That needs to come back. I think that all pitchers need to be. You're on third, you ain't getting no further, bitch. But, I mean, that's how he fucking talked to players. I added the bitch. I just thought it'd be funner if that was in there. In Boonga Boonga news, oh, well, let's get to the Texas news first. Well, let's get some Boonga Boonga first. I think it'll be funner. Uh, we've been on Silvio Berlusconi. As you know, uh, the world is run by icky, rapey white men and, um, uh, and carries on being run by them. The Prime Minister of Italy, uh, Silvio Berlusconi, if you haven't been following his antics, uh, has had uh, loads of young underage prostitutes and is in an ongoing scandal, refuses to step down, runs all of the television uh, in the, in the uh, country of Italy. It would be like if... Uh, uh, well, if Ted Turner was president and uh, uh, with uh, Rupert Murdoch and no, wait a minute, if that's already happening. So in any case, <laughs> he was having these parties called bunga bunga parties, where a bunch of creepy old middle-aged men with hairy breasts and medallions uh, would gather with dudes with Uzis, and uh, young prostitutes were there to frolic amongst them, much like ancient Rome. And uh, these were called bunga bunga parties. I have no idea where the bunga bunga comes from, but it is awesome. And there's a fucking disgusting fly up here. Please, you're not invited. It's free to everyone but insects. If you have a thorax, I have to ask you to leave the building immediately. (laughs) Only bipeds at my show. Well, quadrupeds, but no six-legged people. I won't have sex peds. Silvio Berlusconi last week, and also if you notice what he dressed as I've described Silvio Berlusconi's look, what if Dracula was a gigolo? He's got the slicked back hair and, and you know, black hair and a, and a, and a suit on and, and way leathery, uh, surgerized skin. 
he came under a scathing attack yesterday for calling Italy a shitty country and suggesting he could not wait to move overseas. Uh, and this is what he said. It was in an interview uh, during a conversation in July with one of three people accused of extorting money from him in return for allegedly covering up the presence of prostitutes at private parties in his mansion in Rome and villa in Sardinia. In a few months, I'm going to go away from this shitty country, which makes me sick. That's it, enough. Uh, he attempted to laugh off the remark on Thursday, saying it was, quote, one of those things you say on the telephone late at night. <laughs> you know, when you're the prime minister of a country that's has been around as long as Italy, uh, and people are trying to extort money from you to keep from talking about the prostitutes you have in your villa in Sardinia. And by the way, in case anyone wants to know what I want for my birthday, a villa in Sardinia is high on that list, ladies and gentlemen. I will take a mansion in Rome, but a villa in Sardinia sounds fucking awesome right about now as I sit in the window with the sun beating down on me like a chicken under a fucking heat lamp here. Uh, uh, when you say that I'm going to go away from this shitty country, which makes it me sick... Uh, Democratic Senator Luigi Zonda called for the billionaire tycoon. First of all, when you're described as a billionaire tycoon and you're not a comic book. <laughs> Richie Rich is a billionaire tycoon. Like, I'm eating breakfast out of, a, out of a carved out diamond and they're pouring gold milk on it this morning. Uh, the billionaire tycoon to resign. It's Italians who are sick of him. Our international image is of a country governed by an oddball. Oh, I don't know. Oddball, I think, is generous. How about rapey, weird, Dracula, gigolo, asshole, billionaire, tycoon type uh, who thinks he has a shitty country to run? I've got an idea. If your country's so shitty, why don't you sell it back to the people of Italy uh, and then they can fucking run it? Uh, the accused uh, blackmailers, the conversations often contain vulgar language. Kel fucking surprise. If you've ever been to Italy, you know that arguing is their foreplay. And uh, the other thing that strikes me here about uh, the Republic of Texas is outside of England, where I was but two days ago, um, people talk about the weather here more than they do any place on Earth. Uh, I've had 4,000 conversations about how hot it is, and then today I've had 250 conversations about how windy and cooler it is. Um, when the weather's the same every day for 100 days, it's not really a topic anymore, you guys. <laughs> Can't you just walk by each other and just throw each other the high sign and let each other... We're talking about the weather now, right, and then move on. When it's 100 degrees, what is it, 79 days in a row or something? I think you pretty much... What does the weatherman do here in Austin? Just stare at the camera and despair? every night <laughs> well what's it going to be like tomorrow fucking you know <laughs> hot as shit <laughs> then later windy as fuck <laughs> hook them horns <laughs> congratulations on winning last night I'm staying at a hotel where I think a lot of people were attending the game I'm only guessing uh, because of their weight and uh, apparently they were attending on behalf of everyone in their family, each being, a, each being an entire family unto themselves. Uh, again, uh, some of the men of Texas could look into wearing shorts. But it makes me comfortable. What about my fucking comfort? I have to keep my eyes open while I'm walking and shit. And you're in my line of vision. Bye, baby. Good to see you. 
so congratulations, you beat Rice, which I guess is your sissy, panty waist, Ivy League bullshit, we go to fucking class school here in Texas. <laughs> and they adhere uh, things that you don't hold dear at the University of Texas, things like never ever getting a C average, but yet going to be a star on the team, and, and rape and things like that. So I'm joking, of course. Half hour, chair? All right. Let's move on to some of the other ones here. Uh, I've been thinking about women a lot because of some of the items I've been reading in the Texas papers here. Uh, first of all, this one. Uh, the U.S. District Judge Sam Sparks ruled that portions of the new ultrasound before abortion law are unconstitutionally vague. You may uh, be aware that your, your governor, is he? Uh, Richard Perry is... Uh, <laughs> Is, uh, uh, is desperate to cut all funding to women's health in this state because he wants to save lives. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I thought that was ironic myself, but apparently it's going to take me explaining how that's ironic. <laughs> See, if you take away the funding from women's health, people will fucking die, and people being women, uh, and yet he feels like he'll save lives. Uh, and, and this whole ultrasound thing was that women who were coming in for an abortion, unless they'd been raped or had incestual relations, were going to be forced to watch a sonogram and go through this whole rigmarole to guilt their ass before they had to decide what they wanted to do with their own fucking uterus that I believe the governor doesn't live in. And uh, it was a total one of those guilt-ass laws. And he said, uh, at the time he signed the bill, there's no telling how many lives will be saved. And there have been countless lives saved because of the legislation, and there are going to be many more. Really? Uh, well, when you cut funding to all of the uh, 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 women's health care, people's lives won't be saved. Let me ask you this. If you're supposed to watch a, a video of a sonogram because you're uh, fixated on fetuses and have some sort of weird fetus fixation, shouldn't people who are about to start wars be forced to watch what civilians running from fucking napalm and buildings collapsing and having to dig through the fucking rubble and shit like that? I mean, shouldn't the Secretary of Defense or Dick Cheney or President Obama have to look at video of people having to eat fucking cats and whatnot uh, before they commit some sort of horrible act? Why is it only women who are about to do something with their own body that are responsible for all the fucking violence in the world when every icky fucking Dracula billionaire tycoon who runs this fucking place gets to wantonly do whatever the fuck they want and they don't have to watch video beforehand and be made to feel shitty because they have their own money for fucking health care. Is there going to be humor? Probably not during this part. <laughs> <laughs> but I will quote uh, uh, Molly uh, Ann Richards, uh, the former governor of Texas, and uh, exactly. There have been so many dynamic women from this state, and Ann Richards is one I admire greatly. When we pay billions for planes that won't fly, billions for tanks that won't fire, and billions for systems that won't work, that old dog won't hunt. And you don't have to be from Waco to know that when the Pentagon makes crooks rich and doesn't make America strong, that it's a bum deal. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, the Pentagon is wicked rich. There's money for endless wars. By the way, we just beat Libya in a war. Hoo-ha. Uh, exactly. Who didn't think we could beat them in a war? I mean, obviously, the atrocities at Abu Salim and all, that's wonderful. But again, as I pointed out in the last podcast, what happens 10 years down the line? Last month was the first month we haven't had mad casualties in Iraq since eight years we've fucking been there. And does anyone feel safer or feel like life is better in America since we started the war in Iraq? We're, we're talking about debt ceiling and cutting health care to women and there's endless fucking money to pour into every goddamn overseas war where there just coincidentally happens to be oil underneath the ground. Uh, and the crowd goes quiet again. I forgot we're in Texas on this one here. <laughs> Greg, there's oil under the ground fucking everywhere you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, 
uh, I want to say a couple of things about that because this is a, from uh, the Austin Chronicle here, from Jim Hightower's column. He's talking about uh, Rick Perry of Texas, uh, and he says that he's uh, trying to be the vying to be the furthest out of the Tea Party Republicans far out right wingers, sort of Michelle Bachman with better hair. <laughs> Thank you, one person. He also says the federal government should not be regulating the environment or protecting civil rights or creating a national minimum wage. No, surely the federal government shouldn't do anything, and they're not. So uh, <laughs> your system is already in place, Mr. Perry. Uh, last week was Hurricane Irene. The president came on TV, President Hope, and he said, uh, uh, it's going to be a historic storm. And it was, because nothing fucking happened in New York. Historically, people couldn't fucking get a drink or have water for two days. Uh, uh, as we've discovered uh, after Katrina and all these things, there is no fucking federal government anymore. They closed New York because clearly they had no way to respond to anything if it did fucking happen. Mm. Uh, and I, just to hip you to something that Rick Perry's doing here, uh, among the 204 wealthy supporters who have put between 100000 and $2 million into his governorship are AT&T, the Bank of America, ExxonMobil, the Koch brothers, T. Boone Pickens, Time Warner, and Walmart. Uh, again, to reiterate, Bank of America hasn't paid taxes in three years. And uh, we do. So I think we have a right to demand something from the government occasionally, like, oh, I don't know, could I not fucking die in the street and shit? Would that be okay? <laughs> but well done on the war. And then the crowd goes quiet again. But you know what? That's what this proof cast is all about. Sometimes you laugh, not often, and then <laughs> I hit you with diatribe. Here's another Texas story that had me chuckling. The legal challenge of the so-called titty tax. <laughs> Apparently at strip bars, they've laid a $5 a head surcharge. And it doesn't just mean strip bars. Because of the law, uh, if it's applied as written, the bill would not hit just strip joints, but any place serving alcohol in the presence of even partial nudity, which means avant-garde theater and fashion shows. Uh, so you could end up being at a fashion show and them going, if you've got to pay $5 more for the titty tax, I guess what makes me laugh the most is that only in Texas would it be called a titty tax. <laughs> well, I ain't going to pay no titty tax, and don't tread on me. That's one place where I believe the government should get out. Leave those titties alone. Uh, but when people say things like that, that less people will die, and uh, I don't know. There's a woman from the ancient times, from 400 AD, named Hypatia, and she was the, uh, a librarian at, at Alexandria. She was mercilessly killed by Christians for um, being rational and being a, uh, an anti-Christian, basically, and studying thought. And she said a couple of things that I thought I would quote to you that I thought um, would hang true for now, especially when we're in this election season where you have to listen to people say nonsensical things. Uh, reserve your right to think, for even to think wrongly is better than to not think at all. And then this one, which really hits me. Um, fables should be taught as fables, myths as myths, and miracles as poetic fantasies. To teach superstitions as truths is the most terrible thing. The child mind accepts and believes them, and only through great pain and perhaps tragedy can he be in, after years, relieved of them. All formal dogmatic religions are fallacious and must never be accepted by self-respecting persons as final. Uh, that was the uh, scholar Hypatia. Uh, I only bring that up because a lot of you're going to hear a lot about what the Lord wants in the next two years. And um, the Lord's busy, by the fucking way. Uh, let me speak on behalf of the Lord because of my intimate relation with him, her. Uh, 
First of all, the Lord is a Filipino lesbian, as you know, because I'm from San Francisco. And she told me that she's busy hanging the firmament of the universe and has no truck in human affairs. And we're here on our own to help one another. Uh, and so, uh, therefore, keep those things in mind. Uh, some things that you hear that are just pure fantasy are pure fantasy and hold them as such. Uh, Michelle Bachman, um, in fact, getting back to fantasy, said when, it, when Hurricane Irene hit, uh, she said that it was an attempt by God to get the attention of the politicians. Well, 40 people died in Hurricane Irene, so it wasn't quite as funny as she meant it to be. Uh, and also saying that God's attention is got by a hurricane. Um, as I said, God's busy all over the universe. He has shit to do elsewhere. He's in Alpha Centauri and he's in the Horsehead Nebula. Uh, he, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. And I, see, I keep saying he, but of course I mean she. And uh, I don't think sending a hurricane down is the way he would get people's attention. But what she, what she said was this. Of course I was being humorous when I said that. It would be absurd to think it was anything else. I am a person who loves humor. I have a great sense of humor, she said. <laughs> now, there's two things I know. Okay, there's one thing I know. When anyone tells you they have a great sense of humor, they don't have a great sense of humor. <laughs> when you go to a party and everyone's standing around and it looks like a drag, and someone goes, we're a fun group, they're not a fun group. <laughs> There's a few things like that that go down. When someone's telling you they have a sense of humor, they don't have a sense of humor. Because if she had a sense of humor, she wouldn't have said that. Uh, all right, let's move on to the questions. We take questions here at Smartest uh, at a specialthing.com. should you wish to email me on the electronic mail. I don't read these beforehand. These were faxed to me yesterday. To the hotel, let's get going. Whoa. Uh, I will try to answer them as best I can. Uh, let's see. Your Eminence. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> I would accept Greg, but your eminence is very nice. Uh, what was your favorite toy or game from your childhood, and why was it better than anything available today? Oh, uh, well, that's, this is from Doug. Thank you, Doug. That presumes that it would be better than anything available today. I don't think it would be. Uh, I, I didn't have a handheld device that I could watch my favorite movie on five million times when I was seven. And if I did, I would have watched Butch Cassidy even more than I did watch it. Um, I don't know what my favorite... We had Play-Doh, uh, and if you had Play-Doh at all, if you remember, it was like modeling clay, and then you put it through this thing called a fun factory, and it made different shapes. It wasn't so much that the Play-Doh was so riveting, it was that you could eat it as well. <laughs> and it had this amazing, salty, weird taste and shit like that. I mean, you weren't supposed to eat it. I don't think it was edible. Uh, and yet I did eat it. Uh, I also remember my sister had a wood-burning kit, um, and I don't even know if children are given wood-burning kits anymore, but they should, because it was completely destructive and weird. You plugged it into the wall, and it heated up to superhuman fucking levels that would kill a small child if they put it in their head or held it in their hand. Third-degree burns. And then you were given these shitty little pieces of balsa wood with outlines on them, and you were supposed to burn a figure of a horse or a, a star or a cowboy or whatever. And I've never seen a more useless toy in my entire life. And I heartily endorse wood-burning kits because they are both dangerous and irrelevant. <laughs> and that's two things kids need to learn about because when they get to be adults, they'll realize fucking that's how the world is. <laughs> uh, I liked Lego a lot, but I don't really want to plug them because they're awfully popular now. 
uh, although it is an imagination toy, it's the toys that take away the imagination. If I'd had a toy uh, that I could uh, uh, go through a village and shoot people in the head and, and rape the locals and whatnot and, and do all that, I think I would have enjoyed it. Uh, they came a little too late in my life. I've never actually played a game. Uh, one, because I'm cool. And two, I'm way too fucking old to play games. It would be sad if I got high and played games all night. I really do think so. If people came over to the house and, hey, Greg, what are you doing? I'm fucking playing Xbox, man. It's awesome. I got a Wii game called Rape World. You know, like, people would be like, stop it, Greg. Stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. Um... The one thing that I liked most, I think, when I was little was we had a little 45 record player like this big that you just opened up and plugged in and it had its own crappy speakers. And my sister had all the singles, right, like Dancing in the Streets. Uh, that would be a Motown record like earlier, Ashford and Simpson, you guys. And uh, uh, I think that was the funnest toy of all because I listened to comedy albums that my parents had, uh, Bill Cosby records and stuff like that. And uh, it was the immediacy of being able to uh, hold the record and look at it and touch it. And then, of course, when you got albums, when you got older, uh, you, you looked at them forever and ever, and there was no visual stimulation. Now, of course, you can look at your little thing and download it, and it's, it's much more immediate. So I don't know that it was better then. I just remember those things. We also had Gumby. Oh, and Mr. Potato Head. Mr. Potato Head, it wasn't that it was so fun. It was that the, uh, the, the, the eyes and the nose and the ear that went into the plastic potato had the most unbelievably sharpened fucking Amazon native uh, uh, cannibals along the Orinoco points on them. <laughs> they were literally lethal. Uh, you could kill a small animal with a Mr. Potato. I didn't, but I'm saying you could have. Uh, if you were going to grow up to be a politician, you would have. And... <laughs> When we ran out, when the plastic potato got destroyed, which inevitably it did because it was made out of tough, durable shit, uh, my mother would give us an actual potato. So we would use a potato, put the eyes and the nose in it, the little feet, stand it up, and then leave it behind a cabinet for months. So you would come back and find a very furry green Mr. Potato Head that smelled inconceivably wild. And I don't even know if kids play with Mr. Potato Head anymore. Uh, thank you for that question, Doug, and thank you for calling me your eminence. Uh, Overlord of all kittens. Oh, wow. It's, a, it's an unofficial title, but I accept it. Uh, if you could have a song written about you, wh who would you want to sing it? What would it be called? And what genre, stroke, style of music would it be? Well, it's awfully warm right now, and since we're in Texas, I'm going to say it would be a Jerry Jeff Walker song. Uh, no, that's sucking up too hard. I think they saw through that one, Greg. <laughs> I like glam rock, especially, for, uh, you know, all the early 70s glam rock, like Mott the Hoople. I would want Ian Hunter to write the song, and I would want it to be called All the Way from Prupus, or something like that. Because if you go on Google and look up All the Way to Memphis, Ian Hunter, who I desperately wanted to look like in high school, giant shock of fucking hair, which I had then, giant fucking shades, and he goes, uh, here's one of our latest hit recording. It's called All the Way from Memphis. One, two, three, four, like that, and that is the fucking, that is what I want. Thank you, Alana. Uh, Rob asks, Mr. Greg Proops. Thank you, Mr. Rob. What are your thoughts on the film It's a Wonderful Life? Well, it's summertime, and usually we relegate It's a Wonderful Life to that week around Christmas. Uh, 
uh, I think it's a, it's a fabulous motion picture. Uh, it, it, because Frank Capra is a, is a humanist and always aims at what the individual can do against the giant machine, uh, speaking of which, because we've been talking about it, uh, if you watch Mr. Deeds Goes to Town or Meet John Doe or Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, you'll notice a decided anti-government slant in all of uh, Mr. Capra's films. Uh, the government and the media in those movies actively try to destroy democracy, and it is always down to the individual to help the other individual. Uh, and It's a Wonderful Life, if you've never seen the picture, uh, Jimmy Stewart's gone broke, his bank failed. It's a little bit like now, only almost exactly. And um, <laughs> the economy's sucking, there's a bunch of wars going on, and uh, it's the Depression, and his, uh, his business fails. And he goes, I wish I was never born. And so he's never born. He's taken to another world where he's never born. And an angel comes down and shows him what his life would be like, uh, what everyone's life would be like if he wasn't there. And uh, the town's much worse. Uh, there's prostitutes instead of nice people. And uh, the whole town's full of saloons and shit instead of nice places. And uh, Mr. Potter, who's the mean Lionel Barrymore in the movie, <laughs> oh, George Bailey, the luckiest man in town. Uh, if, to give you an idea of what Mr. Potter was like, do you remember uh, what Dick Cheney appeared at at uh, Obama's inauguration? <laughs> in a wheelchair and uh, the most evil person on earth oh Obama here you can take over are you with hope and change well there'll be no change while I'm in the... <laughs> that's what he's like uh, and uh, Bert and Ernie are from the movie It's a Wonderful Life the two town cops are named Ernie and Bert and it's almost certain that Jim Henson stole it from that uh, and then at the end, of course, he's back alive on earth and everything's happy again. Uh, and the angel's hilarious. Uh, those are my thoughts on it. I, I think it's a completely worthy film. I think it's not his most pointed film. I think if you want the most point uh, from Capra, I would watch Meet John Doe, uh, where he starts a populist movement and uh, uh, they pull the plug on him, literally. That movie's superb. Um, thank you for that question, Rob. Raymond and Jennifer, I don't know if that's one person or a couple. Raymond and Jennifer, or if he's in transition. <laughs> Dear Mr. Proops, can you describe the difference between cricket and baseball? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> people, people wear sweaters when they play cricket, and, they, and it, it takes four days, unless they play a test, which then it's one day. They have innings and they have umpires, and after that the similarity falls right off the fucking map. Baseball's more like rounders, which is a girls' game in England, and so they always make fun of us for playing it. Mm. But then again, we take our sports fairly seriously. In England, when the match is over, they fucking suck each other's eyeballs out and bite each other's noses off, so maybe we don't take sport as seriously as they do. Uh, I, yes, there's many differences, but I, I'm not certain what they all are. Uh, the first baseball players in the United States were also cricketers. I, I do know that. Uh, and cricket has lost all popularity unless you're a douchebag who lives in Hollywood, in which case you play every Sunday. <laughs> that one makes me laugh. Uh, I think we have... Where are you, Mr. Uh, Jeremy? Is Jeremy around? Or did he fuck off? How much time we have? Oh, perfect, okay. A couple of quick things. Uh, Dick Cheney came out with a book this week called My Time. And, uh, yeah... And he's been on TV all week, yucking it up. I don't really have time to go into a huge thing about Dick Cheney, but I, I just wanted to bring it up. Uh, because 9-11, the, the 10th anniversary is coming up, 
and uh, people are like, well, how, you know, what do you think about 9-11 and this and that? I, I think this, in Dick Cheney's book, he gives one account of 9-11. In Bush's book, which came out earlier last year, uh, he gives another account entirely. My understanding was they worked pretty closely together. So uh, <laughs> you tell me what the fuck is going on. Dick Cheney says he was in charge on the day, and Bush says he was in charge on the day. Uh, they've both written books subsequent to their administration and what we would call that careful and nurturing stewardship that the Bush-Cheney years represented for this country. <laughs> I will read you a, a, a little bit of a clip from it. Uh, Mr. Cheney writes, the liberation of Iraq was one of the most significant accomplishments, uh, never mind the failure to find the weapons of mass destruction that were cited as the chief region or the occupation, botched occupation that allowed an insurgency to metastasize for years. He describes Guantanamo as, quote, a model facility, safe, secure, and humane, <laughs> and writes that the CIA's program of enhanced interrogation techniques was safe, legal, and effective. <laughs> but apparently, abortion's not. <laughs> but waterboarding, always fucking awesome. <laughs> Uh, as for Hurricane Katrina, and this was my favorite part, because you may remember when Katrina hit. Uh, Bush showed up, what, three days later? Cheney showed up like four days later and was standing on the side of a river. And uh, if you remember, a guy got on camera near him uh, who was a physician who had been treating people during that heinous fucking emergency where the government failed us utterly and uh, went, hey, fuck you, Mr. Cheney, right, on camera. Yeah. And everybody looked and Cheney looked and Cheney, because he's, uh, like Michelle Bachman, has a sense of humor. <laughs> went, huh, huh, must be a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, you, you were right to not laugh. Uh, of all the things you could have said, like, I understand how upset you are, or you, uh, I, I can't imagine the unbelievable pain that you've been going through the last week, his thing was to go, huh, must be a Democrat. <laughs> Uh, this is what he said about Hurricane Katrina. He praised President Bush for personally dedicating hundreds of hours to not only ensuring an effective federal response, but to reaching out to people who needed to know their government cared about them. Um, is he from the same world that we live in? We all remember what happened in Katrina. At any point did you feel that Bush let the people know that their government cared about them? Was it the point where they were trapped in the fucking Superdome with no water? Or the point where bodies were floating down the fucking canals? Which point was the point where people went, fucking, I feel in the warm embrace and glow of the government right now. Thank God Dick Cheney came down here to make fun of Democrats. Uh, now that I've harshed your mellow beyond all measure, I think it's time to go to the crowd and see if we can wrest some humor out of this proof cast before we hit fucking uh, the end of this thing here. Let's. Jeremy's going to go into the crowd. If anyone has a question here, we'll be entertaining questions. Uh, anybody want to ask me anything? I have one here. Yes, sir. What's your name, sir? I'm Wade. Wait. Wade. Wade. Yes. Well, then don't wait any longer, Wade. Uh, Satchel Page, too, sir. Ah, Satchel Page. Hooray. Yeah. I just wanted to know. Yeah. I didn't know how we were going to get him in today. I didn't uh, want to wedge him into the Nolan Ryan thing. Couldn't let it go unsaid. Thank you, brother. Just wanted to know what you think about the demise of base running and the impact it has on the game. And also, who do you consider America's finest actor? Wow, that's two questions. Uh, let's deal with the first one first. Thank you for mentioning Satchel Page. Uh, he was a Negro League pitcher. You can Google him later. And uh, I think that base running is a little bit overrated, uh, uh, although, as they always say in baseball, speed never, uh, what is it, uh, flags? The, you, it, speed never goes into a slump, right? If you're fast, you're fast. Uh, I think it comes along with the last, uh, they've been 
fucking with the baseballs for the last few seasons, you may have noticed. Uh, uh, n- never mind the steroids, which everyone was fucking using. And I will defend Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and all of them to the death. Everyone was using it, and the owners knew they were using it. And we all liked arena baseball. So fuck you for going, they cheated. You fucking cheated. You stole the post-it at work. You're a douchebag. <laughs> when Barry Bonds cheated, children wept tears of joy. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Two, uh... Uh, there's no run scoring this year particularly on my team the beloved Giants who I believe beat a team from this state in the World Series last year in any case uh, our year is pretty much sucking man bag this year so our new slogan is wait till last year I think it's part of that. I think they've wound the balls back again, and that's why nobody's hitting taters, and I think they're scared to death to have 11 to 5 games every day uh, because they were exciting and fun and people liked them. Uh, And I think base running will come back, hopefully, along with something called letting people pitch all nine innings because they're fucking professional athletes who are strong as fuck and have the best training in the world and don't drink and whore all night like they used to in the 60s when Whitey Ford would get up and pitch nine fucking innings hungover as fuck, pouring green sweat out of his ass. Or in the 80s when Pete Vukovic for the Brewers would do coke all night in Seattle, which I know for a fucking fact, and then get up and throw fucking nine inning fucking full fucking shutout the next day and then yell at people in the stands. fucking baseball. Never mind your fucking banana shakes and shit like that. America's finest actor right now or ever? Mm. Uh, I don't know. That's a toughie. Uh, I I mean, I think Jack Nicholson is a superb actor. I don't know that he's the finest actor ever. I would say Marlon Brando or Montgomery Cliff, something like that. Or or maybe Barbara Stanwyck or, you know. Uh, Right now, uh, you know, there's a lot of good actors. The Hollywood ones are a little dicey on the ground. I'm not a huge fan of some of the, uh, you know, I mean, you know, not to just pick anyone horribly, but like when I see a Kate Hudson movie or a Jennifer Aniston movie, I think, hey, I can sleep for the next two hours on the plane. (laughs) Does anyone, thank you, Wade. Does anyone else have a question? Hey, how's it going? I have uh... Hey, um, what's your name? We talked in line. Tony. Hi, Tony. My question is this. A lot of comedians are getting reprimanded these days for things they say while imp- improvising. And Saying want, what? Uh, things they say while improvising. Cat Williams, for example, most recently Tracy Morgan uh, oh, yes, a while right. back. And I wanted to see what you had to say about the uh, stream of consciousness or automatic writing that they do, if that is something that they should be apologetic for. Well, someone asked me, it was Jeremy, in fact, yesterday, uh, about what I thought about Michael Richards. And I think it's a different situation. But, I mean, the thing is, you're, you, there's, you can't get away with anything now, no matter where you are at any gig, because everybody's got a camera and a personal recording device with them at all times. So, no matter how uninformed or unenlightened the stupid shit you're saying is, and a lot of people would probably think, Greg, you're saying a lot of uninformed, unenlightened shit. Uh, you're going to be held accountable for it at some point. Uh, I can't speak to every comedian's fucking personal belief system. Uh, Some of them aren't what they ought to be or maybe not what they could be. Uh, And they could think, really, you tore up one of my flyers to use it as time cards? (laughs) Holy shit. You have these cheap fucking gym crack out of bounds fucking flyers you could have used to write my fucking time signatures on and you tore up one of my beautifully rounded non-cornered fucking flyers that I had made expensively in Los Angeles instead of using these cheap shit ones that clearly you had mimeographed at the fucking quick copy down the street here? Does that answer your question? 
Um, I extemporize quite a lot, as you might have gathered so far. Uh, but I, I will be held accountable for the shit I say. Uh, and, and if you disagree, that's absolutely your prerogative. The one thing we have to be able to do is disagree. Uh, as far as Cal Williams and Tracy Morgan, I wouldn't look to them for intellectual enlightenment. And I think that people know that. <laughs> You know what I mean? Some comics you do. Some, uh, if, if, if Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock says something, they've thought about what they were going to say. When Cat Williams and Tracy Morgan say something, maybe they've not thought quite as much about what they're going to say. <laughs> it doesn't make them any less of a comedian or any less popular. It's just uh, uh, people's ethos. Any other questions? Maybe, maybe a woman. Hooray. There's some. Thank you, Jeremy, for going into the crowd there. Hi there. Hi, what's your uh, name? I'm Sharice. Hi, Sharice. Also from San Francisco. Oh, hooray. And probably about the same age. Oops. Um, That's okay. (laughs) We're allowed to be old here. Good. What's the oddest place you've ever done a gig? Aside from here? (laughs) Aside from the window of a coffee shop in Austin? Having a bunch of people stare at me while they're fanning themselves? Uh, I did a living room on Buena Vista East in San Francisco. You know where Haight Street is in San Francisco? There's these two beautiful streets that go up where uh, men meet each other for pleasure in the park. And, uh, or, or as we called it in London on Hampstead Heath, the early learning center. And... Uh, they, uh, uh, they're beautiful Victorian homes up there And a, a woman had me in her home Also, I did a guy's house once Who was clearly a drug dealer um, It was his birthday and he hired me This was a hundred years ago uh, It was 2000 It was 19, uh, 1911 It was uh, A gig up in the, in the wine country And this guy hired me to do his birthday party It was at Christmas time It was the day after Christmas And I get to his house And he had a, vi- a, a giant uh, a picture window And he lived in a historical home Like a registered historical Victorian And the picture window had this uh, you know, Sort of amazing view of the wine country And in front of it he had a giant flat screen Or you know for those days Big TV with a Wyndham Hill video Playing on it If you remember Wyndham Hill They were like this ambient music company That did tuneless fucking meandering bullshit And uh, it was a video Of the outdoors Playing in front of this giant window Of the outdoors I remember that And he wore a scarf and he had a wispy mustache Like David Hemmings and Barbarella And, uh, and, and he, uh, he, he wouldn't tell me what he did for a living And then he, we were going to wait for his girlfriend To show up that night So I'm in his living room in front of all of his friends And we're all drunk And I go, well I don't know what he does But he either flies planes real low Or he drives boats real fast (laughs) Or Or he leads a series of mules Across a ravine in South America And the whole place is going fucking crazy And he's furious, right? We go to the supermarket after To get some booze and some food To go back to the hotel room And someone from the party walks in And goes, how did you fucking know? I've got drug dar. <laughs> Any other questions? Well, let's do a couple more. All right, well, we'll wrap it here. Don't write stop. And you've torn my fucking thing up. We're going to take a couple more. We're going to go a little long here. Who's here? Yes, my darling. Hi. Um, What's your name? Uh, my name's Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Um, I was wondering, what is the most terrifying thing you've ever been forced to do and the most terrifying thing you've ever done willingly? Wow. <laughs> It's an interesting question for me, young lady. <laughs> Forced to do? Well, 
When I was leading uh, a brigade of dragoons through the Hindu Kush Pass, <laughs> our commander was a merciless man with giant mustaches. And I remember at the point of a sword, he said to me, Proops, take that group up and see if you can fight the Benghazis down off the hill. Uh, forced to do? I, I had to deliver flyers once when I was at a nadir in my life. When you, t- you, 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 take a, you fill up your car full of flyers, and it was like my Vega, and uh, you had to deliver flyers to doors and places, and I took them all, and I threw them away, and I put them in a garbage can. And when I went to uh, get my paycheck, the guy went, you threw all the flyers away. And as a, I was like 17 or 18, I went, no, I fucking didn't. And he went, yeah, you fucking did. And I was like, all right, I did. Can I still have my check? Uh, I really didn't want to do that job, so uh, I was forced to do that. And what was the second part? What did I willingly do that was scary? Oh, that was terrifying. Mm. I don't know. I've done some stupid shit you oughtn't have fucking done. You know, I know, right, everybody? Well, like, like what, for instance, Greg? <laughs> I think taking two or three hits of acid and driving uh, all over the fucking world might have been a, may not have been the most well-advised thing. I remember at one point being unable to see the road at any point. Everyone else in the car was so high on acid they were screaming like fucking parakeets. So it sounded like this in the car. Ah! And all I could see was a tiny circle ahead of us as we barreled down the fucking freeway. And where we were going was the San Francisco airport to park and watch planes take off. if you've ever taken psychedelic drugs and watched a fucking 747 lift off but it's pretty awesome it is pretty awesome uh, being in, when we were in Kosovo and, and the Balkans and whatnot with the USO uh, with Drew Carey we had to go to some places that were pretty icky and I remember going to urinate on the side of the road when the bus stopped and, and having one of the soldiers go Greg don't go on the grass that's where all the unexploded landmines are <laughs> I'm thinking that was fairly poorly uh, decided on my part to fucking jump off the truck and hey, I'm going to run out in the thing <laughs> uh, whenever you go to a place where there's landmines everywhere don't go off the path is my advice to you thank you uh, Rachel can we have one more and then we'll uh, wrap this fucker up I realize now that we should have taken questions for a lot longer and had me talk for a lot less and the show might have been a lot more delightful and the sun's gone behind a cloud now go on Who? Um, hi hi, hi what's your name hi okay great hi Greg uh, my name's Tim and um, I was wondering if um, you're concerned about the plight of the horny toads here in central Texas a lot of groundswell for that one, Tam. Uh, I'm not aware of the plight of the horny toads, but I'm always sympathetic to all amphibian needs. <laughs> Having been born as I was in a gelatinous sack in a swamp and raised by people with tongues who are five times the length of their body, uh, I'm always sympathetic to any horny toads. Are horny toads reptiles or are they amphibians? Oh, reptiles. Well, fuck them. I hope they all die. (laughs) That's been our show. We'll reconvene in a week's time in Los Angeles, California. I'll see you back there. Thank you very much, Austin. Peace to all y'all.